Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everyone, today we're in Genesis 32, and we are in some interesting passages about Jacob and Esau, and some not-so-great things happen. (laughs) I feel like I say that for every episode. (laughs) Isn't that the opening statement for most episodes? Yikes. Um, Anything stick out to you guys as we read through Genesis 32 through 35? Well, we've definitely got this interesting interaction with Jacob and Esau, Yeah. the two brothers uh, that... Last time we visited them weren't on such good terms because Jacob may have stolen something <laughs> from Esau. May or may not have. May or may not have. Still innocent until proven guilty, but <laughs> definitely guilty. Uh, Jacob's a little nervous about seeing his brother again. Yeah, I guess for good reason. <laughs> yeah. So it's this long dialogue about this uh, return to meet each other and all the ways that Jacob's basically going to try to give gifts to Esau and try to win back his favor. Uh, And in the middle of this, he has an interesting little encounter in the middle of the night. Yeah. Uh, I think we all agree, right, that it's probably a Christophany that Jacob wrestles with. A man. God, man. Might be Jesus. Starts off by saying man, but then it basically says, I've seen the face of God. Yeah. um, We also did talk about how Jacob doesn't seem great at being able to identify people at night. So. I think he had bad night vision. So we, can't, we can't fully rely on his eyewitness testimony. Uh, which may have been Pretty why sure this is a Christophany, though. He was allowed to see his face because he didn't really see it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, He's God a little blurry. God's like, mm, your eyes aren't very good. Look, it's me. Uh, that, that passage, so that's Genesis 32, like 22 to 32. Uh, and it's it's a really interesting... I mean, it's really interesting for many reasons. One of the things is in the Hebrew, it's still in the English a little bit, but in the Hebrew more, um, it's like a play on words, like the whole story. Um, because you can see it's like uh, Jacob, it's Jabbok. Um, basically, if you would read this in the original language, it reads something like, the man named Struggle went down to the river called Struggle and got himself into a struggle with God. <laughs> so it's like the overwhelming theme even in the way this story is written and and told, is struggle. And so we see Jacob get into this significant struggle with God. Um, I think it's um, one of the first times, I think, that Jacob is kind of trying to get his way and is unable to. Uh, it becomes quickly obvious that like he can fight and fight and fight, but he's just going to fight like forever because he's not going to be God. And it's soon after this story that Jacob makes like a, it seems to make a significant character change to where that, that deceit we've been talking about is starting to fall off of him. Um, he's becoming a more honoring person. He's becoming a more God aware person. Like you, uh, Chris, you were alluding to the fact that somebody stole the household idols. <laughs> um, idols remain an issue. We're going to see him tell everybody in his party to leave all their idols in the ground in Genesis 35. Um, even that I think is, showing that he's changing who he is because he's like, you know what? I know about those idols you guys like to travel with. We're not doing that anymore. So it's an interesting pivot point. Yeah. We were kind of joking around that this is like his come to Jesus moment. Yeah. Especially literally and figuratively, (laughs) especially if this is in fact a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, but uh, it is 
You know, we see like with Abraham that there's a moment that he is with God right at the beginning that we're introduced to him. This is kind of that moment where Jacob meets with God and we see a bit of a change happens. In fact, it actually says that he sees God twice in this passage at the same place. Uh, And the other thing that's kind of interesting is that where this occurs uh, is at the same place that Abraham was actually given the promise that he was going to become a great nation. So uh, we had, I remember one of my teachers in Bible school used to say that when you read the Bible, like don't just skip over the city names or things like that. Geography doesn't change. Cities don't change. And it is interesting that many significant events where God's people met with him uh, happened in this place, Bethel. And uh, we see that happening once again, even the fact that basically the Abrahamic covenant is restated uh, to Jacob uh, in this same location right after he has this encounter with God. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting too, just to kind of, the name that God gives Jacob, Israel, means God fights. And then because you have fought with God and with men have won. And think about, like, I, as you read the New Old Testament, I mean, think about the Israelites, who they're named after, and what the meaning of that name means as they encounter all sorts of different things, as they literally fight with God with their behavior and sin, and um, and God is the one that still makes a way for them to prevail. Yeah, and maybe there's even something like fighting against God, or mm-hmm. when they go and eventually conquer the land, they're, they're supposed to be fighting with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, alongside of him and that he is the one bringing the victory. Yeah, God, yeah, God fights. Yeah, all those different mm-hmm. times where he brought victory for them. Yeah. And then we have Jacob and Esau meeting uh, for the first time in a long time. Um, and we mentioned this two years ago when we did this podcast. I guess it's now almost two years ago. But um, uh, one of the other places in the Bible that the two men meet and embrace and weep is the prodigal son story of the prodigal son. So um, we don't hear much about Esau after this, uh, but we can kind of see that he's changed um, based on his reaction to Jacob and his response and the grace that he shows and the mercy that he shows, because it's apparent that Jacob thinks that Esau can definitely overtake him in his household and just destroy them. Um, But Esau does not do that. He embraces his brother and loves him. That actually happens twice in this passage when Jacob finds himself being terrified that people are going to overtake him and destroy him completely, um, because we're going to see that happen with the people in Shechem as well. Right. And God protects him there as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, should we talk about that? Oh, uh, poor Dinah. <laughs> I don't really know what to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is another one of the stories that's, you know, the Bible doesn't edit. It includes some of the, the nasty things. And we we have somebody getting raped here. And then uh, these sons of Jacob taking revenge into their own hands and going and slaughtering all the, the guys of Shechem, uh, which later through, they through are. Through significant deceit. Like this is, mm-hmm. this is another, like these descendants of Abraham having like this issue with deceit. It's consistent. So mm-hmm. we do see kind of some of the patterns being passed down. Uh, and later they are... Uh, I guess you could say cursed even because of the violence that they took when uh, Jacob is uh, praying for his sons and blessing them and or speaking over them, uh, <laughs> that there is, since they engaged in violence here, that actually still had a consequence that continued on and on throughout their life. Yeah, it's like hard, this a hard passage specifically, specifically for me because I just, like, there should be justice. <laughs> Obviously, they went a little overboard, but... 
Like, so where it, where is the justice in a time like this without God's law, like the law that he gives the Israelites, like, how do you go about like carrying out justice when something unjust happens? It's interesting because this is certainly not justice. Justice is like punishment for punishment. Yes. And this is revenge. It's, right. It's much bigger exactly. than justice. Yes. Of course. Um, Jacob, I, I like. I can't imagine Jacob was just gonna like roll with this and be fine with it. Right. But the sons definitely jump out ahead and slaughter a significant amount of people. Um. So I don't know. I think it just shows like the unruly nature of these two sons. Obviously, they have a they have a right to be upset. They mm-hmm. have a right to seek uh, justice. But this is this is Way not just <laughs> yeah. right. Right, it's- and that is something to keep in mind as we do see eventually, as we continue on this journey, God trying to bring order and trying to bring law into really a lawless time. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though that will be a, several hundred years from now, like God is, He's working within a culture and basically trying to establish things from the ground up. So eventually, He does give some laws about justice and about how these things are supposed to go after the Israelites come out of Egypt, but. We're still kind of in, for lack of a better term, the Wild West days where there's just almost that phrase that we see later in Judges, every man does what is right in his own eyes, is still kind of at work that in many ways is a testament to just sinfulness of humanity. Yeah. I've been thinking recently, so this is Genesis 35, probably, 34, 35. 34. Um, God destroys the world in Genesis, what, like nine or ten? Probably. I think sooner than that. Is it sooner than that? Early in Genesis. Early. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, <laughs> unimportant. So, so I try to. I try to hit it, but it happens somewhere. So, so what's interesting to me is like early in Genesis, uh, God destroys the world, and the actual stated reason in Genesis is that man has become violent, and violence has overtaken the world. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting to me because it's like this is one. That, I'm getting very sidetracked, but a very cool reason to continually read the Bible over and over is you will notice different themes, different times. So a theme that I'm recognizing this year is that God is super against violence, like early in Genesis. And he kind of like, I guess out in culture, Old Testament, God has this MO that he's like pretty into violence. Um, Mm -hmm. But when you actually read the Bible, you'll see that he's not, Mm -hmm. um, because I don't think we've seen one instance yet where God was like, yeah, I'm fine with that. Like that, that, that killing is okay. Um, it's often a wildly oversimplified view of God to be like, oh yeah, in the Old Testament, he just like murdered people left and right. Um, actually, he was actually super against it. People that are really into violence. People yeah. that are really into violence. And God is often the one being like, hey, stop this. This is not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because it's a wildly dangerous time in the world. Like when we're going through Genesis, like yeah. it's very tribal and it's very territorial and it's Which, dangerous. If you just zoom out and think about the last 35 chapters of Genesis, we went from one sin. Yeah. That happened in the garden. And now just like you're continuing to see the effects of sin spread and it results in violence. It results in rape. It results in deceit. It results in all these things that the planet is truly broken, but we have to w- watch for how God is trying to redeem this brokenness yeah. through interacting with sinful man. And that's that's where he's the hero of the story, not mm. the villain. That's good. Genesis 32, beginning in verse 1. As Jacob started on his way again, angels of God came to meet him. When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, This is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim. 
Then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Edom. He told them, Give this message to my master Esau, humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now I have been living with Uncle Laban, and now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, We met your brother Esau, and he is already on his way to meet you, with an army of four hundred men. Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household along with the flocks and herds and camels into two groups. He thought, if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. O Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he's coming to attack me along with my wives and children. But you promised me I will surely treat you kindly, and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore, too many to count. Jacob stayed where he was for the night. Then he selected these gifts from his possessions to present to his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female donkeys with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. He divided these animals into herds and assigned each to different servants. Then he told his servants, go ahead of me with the animals, but keep some distance between the herds. He gave these instructions to the men leading the first group. When my brother Esau meets you, he will ask, whose servants are you? Where are you going? Who owns these animals? You must reply, they belong to your servant Jacob, but they are a gift for his master Esau. Look, he is coming right behind us. Jacob gave the instructions to the second and third herdsmen and to all who followed behind the herds. You must say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and be sure to say, look, your servant Jacob is right behind us. Jacob thought, I will try to appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. When I see him in person, perhaps he'll be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob himself spent that night in the camp. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his eleven sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? the man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you'll be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip socket. Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. He put the servant wives and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then Jacob went on ahead. As he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. Then Esau looked at the women and children and asked, Who are these people with you? These are the children God has graciously given to me, your servant, Jacob replied. Then the servant wives came forward with their children and bowed before him. 
Next came Leah with her children, and they bowed before him. Finally, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed before him. And what were all the flocks and herd I met as I came? Esau asked. Jacob replied, They are a gift, my lord, to ensure your friendship. My brother, I have plenty, Esau answered. Keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob insisted, No, if I have found favor with you, please accept this gift from me. And what a relief to see your friendly smile. It's like seeing the face of God. Please take this gift I have brought you, for God has been very gracious to me. I have more than enough. And because Jacob insisted, Esau finally accepted the gift. Well, Esau said, Let's be going. I will lead the way. But Jacob replied, You can see, my lord, that some of my children are very young, and the flocks and herds have their young too. If they are driven too hard, even for one day, all the animals could die. Please, my lord, go ahead of your servant. We will follow slowly at a pace that is comfortable for the livestock and the children. I will meet you at Seir. All right, Esau said, but at least let me assign some of my men to guide and protect you. Jacob responded, that's not necessary. It's enough that you've received me warmly, my lord. So Esau turned around and started back to Seir that same day. Jacob, on the other hand, traveled on to Succoth. There he built himself a house and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place was named Succoth, which means shelters. Later, having traveled all the way from Padan Aram, Jacob arrived safely at the town of Shechem in the land of Canaan. There he set up camp outside the town. Jacob bought the plot of land where he camped from the family of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver. And there he built an altar and named it El Holo Israel. One day, Dinah, the daughter of Jacob and Leah, went to visit some of the young women who lived in the area. But when the local prince, Shechem, son of Hamar, the Hivite, saw Dinah, he seized her and raped her. But then he fell in love with her, and he tried to win her affection with tender words. He said to his father, Hamer, Get me this young girl. I want to marry her. Soon Jacob heard that Shechem had defiled his daughter Dinah. But since his sons were out in the fields herding his livestock, he said nothing until they returned. Hamer, Shechem's father, came to discuss the matter with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the field as soon as they heard what had happened. They were shocked and furious that their sister had been raped. Shechem had done a disgraceful thing against Jacob's family, something that should never be done. Hamer tried to speak with Jacob and his sons. My son Shechem is truly in love with your daughter, he said. Please let him marry her. In fact, let's arrange other marriages too. You give us your daughters for our sons, and we will give you our daughters for your sons. And you may live among us. The land is open to you. Settle here and trade with us, and feel free to buy property in the area. Then Shechem himself spoke to Dinah's father and brothers. Please be kind to me and let me marry her, he begged. I will give you whatever you ask. No matter what dowry or gift you demand, I will gladly pay it. Just give me the girl as my wife. But since Shechem had defiled their sister Dinah, Jacob's sons responded deceitfully to Shechem and his father Hamer. They said to them, We couldn't possibly allow this because you're not circumcised. It would be a disgrace for our sister to marry a man like you. But here is a solution. If every man among you will be circumcised like we are, then we will give you our daughters, and we will take your daughters for ourselves. We will live among you and become one people. But if you don't agree to be circumcised, we will take her and be on our way. Hamer and his son Shechem agreed to their proposal. Shechem wasted no time in acting on this request, for he wanted Jacob's daughter desperately. Shechem was a highly respected member of his family, and he went with his father, Hamer, to present this proposal to the leaders at the town gate. These men are our friends, they said. Let's invite them to live here among us and trade freely. Look, the land is large enough to hold them. We can take their daughters as wives and let them marry ours. But they will consider staying here and becoming one people with us, only if all of our men are circumcised just as they are. But if we do this, all their livestock and possessions will eventually be ours. Come, let's agree to their terms and let them settle here among us. 
So all the men in town council agreed with Hamer and Shechem, and every male in the town was circumcised. But three days later, when their wounds were still sore, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, who were Dinah's full brothers, took their swords and entered the town without opposition. Then they slaughtered every male there, including Hamer and his son Shechem. They killed them with their swords, then took Dinah from Shechem's house and returned to their camp. Meanwhile, the rest of Jacob's sons arrived. Finding the men slaughtered, they plundered the town because their sister had been defiled there. They seized all the flocks and herds and donkeys, everything they could lay their hands on, both inside the town and outside in the fields. They looted all their wealth and plundered their houses. They also took all their little children and wives and led them away as captives. Afterward, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have ruined me. You have made me stink among all the people of this land, among all the Canaanites and Perizzites. We are so few that they will join forces and crush us. I'll be ruined, and my entire house will be wiped out. But why should we let him treat our sister like a prostitute? They retorted angrily. Then God said to Jacob, Get ready and move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob told everyone in his household, Get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourselves, and put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel, where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all their pagan idols and earrings, and he buried them under the great tree near Shechem. As they set out, a terror from God spread over the people and all the towns of that area, so no one attacked Jacob's family. Eventually, Jacob and his household arrived at Luz, also called Bethel, in Canaan. Jacob built an altar there and named the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel, because God had appeared to him there when he was fleeing from his brother Esau. Soon after this, Rebekah's old nurse Deborah died. She was buried beneath the oak tree in the valley below Bethel. Ever since, the tree has been called Alan Bakuth, which means oak of weeping. Now that Jacob had returned to Badan Aram, God appeared to him again at Bethel. God blessed him, saying, Your name is Jacob, but you will not be called Jacob any longer. From now on, your name will be Israel. So God renamed him Israel. Then God said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. You will become a great nation, even many nations. Kings will be among your descendants, and I will give you the land I once gave Abraham and Isaac. Yes, I will give it to you and your descendants after you. Then God went up from the place where he had spoken to Jacob. Jacob set up a stone pillar to mark the place where God had spoken to him. Then he poured wine over it as an offering to God and anointed the pillar with olive oil. And Jacob named the, named the place Bethel, which means house of God, because God had spoken to him there. Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on toward Ephrath. But Rachel went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense. After a very hard delivery, the midwife finally exclaimed, Don't be afraid, you have another son. Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named the baby Ben-Ani, which means son of my sorrow. The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Jacob set up a stone monument over Rachel's grave, and it can be seen there to this day. Then Jacob traveled on and camped beyond Migdalar Adir. While he was living there, Reuben had intercourse with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Jacob soon heard about it. These are the names of the twelve sons of Jacob. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's oldest son. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, were Gad and Asher. These are the names of the sons who were born to Jacob at Padan Harem. So Jacob returned to his father Isaac and Mamre, which is near Kirath Arba, now called Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had both lived as foreigners. 
Hey everyone, we hope you're enjoying God's whole story as much as we are. If you like this podcast, go ahead and give us a five-star review. It helps us get God's word out to other people. Also, be sure to follow God's Whole Story podcast on Facebook and Instagram, where you can ask questions, learn more, and connect with myself, Ryan, and Chris. Thanks for listening.